What is going on, Summit Chasers, and welcome to another episode of the Summit Chasers podcast. And I am honored to introduce to you today's guest, Olivia Atkin. She is a, she's actually a very impressive conversation. She is a TEDx speaker. She's an author, business owner, and she has some of the coolest experience and one of the coolest backgrounds that I've ever had the opportunity to interview or meet. She's worked with, she worked with the New York Giants. She managed her collegiate hockey team, and I'm Canadian, so we talk a lot about that. Uh, she also managed her high school wrestling team, lacrosse team. She was a very high-level swimmer and diver, um, but she, we talk a lot about how the intersection of a lot of the lessons that we learned from both sports, obviously I'm a former three-time professional athlete, so a lot of the intersection between what, what we learn about in sports and, and that, that world and how we bring it into business and life. So we talk a lot about, about leadership, communication, dedication, what it takes to succeed, and the difference between amateur and the difference between pro in general, not just in sports. So go ahead. I'm going to leave all the links uh, for her down below. Her podcast is actually huge. Apparently, she just hit. Uh, she's in all seven continents now. So go show her podcast some love. I'll link all that stuff down in the description below. But sit back, get your notepads out, comment your takeaways below, and enjoy the episode. Well, first, I... So I was going through some of the your your accolades and and experience and that kind of stuff. And there's one in particular, hockey. You mm -hmm. worked with you you managed men's and a men and a women's hockey team. How did you get into that? I don't again the Canadian in me has to ask that question first. How did you get into that? <laughs> I was gonna say I feel like it wouldn't be a true Canadian interviewing me if we didn't touch upon hockey. Yeah, just um, to start there. <laughs> <laughs> Number one. Spot to start. So I was a manager of four men's teams at my high school. Um, I started off in wrestling and then I ended by my senior year managing the wrestling team, baseball, football, and men's lacrosse. Um, so I applied to Quinnipiac. I wasn't thinking of doing, you know, anything in this sports area. I listed obviously in my application and in my letter all my backgrounds with sports from being an athlete myself to managing them and they had passed it along to the hockey team and they were like you should check her out and one day I got a call and they were like hey would you be interested in being one of our managers and we sat down and I ended up managing both teams from freshman year to the day I graduated um, some of I'm still very close with the team um, and the staff at the university. Um, Quimpiac has made it to the Frozen Four three times. Mm -hmm. um, all three times I have had very unique experiences with them. The first time they made it was actually the spring right before I came to the university. Mm -hmm. um, so I actually knew and was committed to go to Quinnipiac. I knew I was going to be managing both the men's and women's hockey team. And then they were there. So I got to watch that on TV with a lot of family and friends. The second time the men's made it to the Frozen Four, I was actually a manager for the team. So I got to go to Tampa with them and get to experience that. Um, I have a rink from that nice. year 
Um, pretty cool. It's a men's ring, so it's the size of like three of my fingers. Um, but I, I do occasionally wear it. Um, and then the third time the men's team made it to the Frozen Four was this past year. And I actually went out to Tampa. Um, I sat right next to the bench. I was there for all the games, um, watched them score, you know, get that puck in the net that five seconds into overtime. And if you weren't looking and luckily in my many years managing hockey, I learned the skill of watching that puck, no matter who's on the ice. Um, so I was able to catch the whole thing, but I know a lot of people around me totally like didn't see it from the time the puck hit the ice, it hit the net. So it was a very cool journey. Um, this last time too, a lot of the alumni, guys I managed when I was there, guys who came before us all flew out. The ones who did not fly out, um, going into the frozen four once we made the championship game 24 hours prior to the game starting they flew in um so we very much had that team bonding but interesting enough prior to um managing the quinnbiac university team i never really watched hockey i never was a part of hockey i grew up in new jersey and in south jersey more specifically too, hockey isn't really a thing. Our high school, our town, which is a very big town, actually had one joint between the two high schools team. And it's a club team. It's not mm-hmm. sponsored through the schools, anything like that. Um, and we would, though, they would do a Thanksgiving uh, game. So me and my friends would go every Thanksgiving and watch the team compete against a different township, but that was kind of the extent I went to a few flyers games. So a lot of my hockey knowledge really stems from quickly diving into the deep end um, in all things hockey. And the second I found out I was going to be managing both the men's and women's team, I started reading up on everything hockey. Um, Luckily for me, I had a lot of experience managing on the team side, so I didn't have to pick up those skills. It was really just understanding how it would deviate from other sports that I managed, terminology, right? Um, Watching something very high up because I'd be in the press box Mm -hmm. and having to watch that puck. It's a very different view. Yeah, it's one of those things where you're sitting there going, where is it? Because I'm seeing skates and I'm you're very far up. So it's like really learning how to see where things are coming from, directions people are moving. Even that's a skill a lot of people don't think about is even on the ice, reading body language. Who's potentially going to be the guy or the girl on the ice that's going to go after the puck? based on the way people are moving versus not. So you know to potentially look at them. Another really cool um, hockey experience I actually had too, managing the women's team. You know, men's hockey is a lot bigger. Women's hockey has been growing. In recent years, they now have the National Women's Hockey League and everything like that. But 
because overall, especially in college hockey, women don't have as large of a following, they actually hold the women's Frozen Four at universities. And nice. our university was big enough to host it. So when I was managing the teams, we got to also host the women's Frozen Four. So I got to work a Frozen Four in that aspect as well, which was really cool. That's super fun. And that's a skill that I think a lot of people, especially hockey fans, don't appreciate because, I mean, I grew up watching hockey since I was in diapers, you know? So I just, you almost, it's not even that I look for the puck. You just know where it is eventually. Like, you just know it's so small. You like, you can hear it. You just understand the game enough. You're like, okay, that person clearly has the puck because everyone's, you know, crowding around them. Like, you just you just know and you can follow it so much easier. But if you're new, like I took my, my fiance to a Golden Knights game when we were still living in Vegas, and she's the same thing. She's like, I don't know where the puck is ever. Like, this is such a huge arena, and the puck is that big. How do you know where it is? I'm like, you just you'll, you'll figure it out. Just 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 play the game. Watch the game. That's really really cool. So you managed wrestling, lacrosse, hockey. Was it was it the sports that you loved? Was it the management that you loved, or was it the sports management? I think it's a little bit of all aspects of it. Mm -hmm. Um. So, like I said, I've managed in high school, lacrosse, wrestling, baseball, football, college. When I was an undergrad, was both the men's and women's hockey team. But when I went back to grad school, I had actually already worked in professional sports. I'd worked for multiple teams. I'd managed professional athletes. So when I came back to get my MBA, I also went back at Quinnipiac. I worked with every single one of our D1 athletic programs. Yeah, um, you worked with the uh, New York Giants, right? I read mm -hmm. that right? Yeah. Yeah. So I worked for the Giants for years. I actually was working for the Giants at the same time I was in undergrad. So I would go from a hockey game on a Friday, Saturday night. And sometimes you had men playing and women playing. So you could have four games in a weekend get done a game on a Saturday, drive back to New Jersey and Sunday morning, go up to MetLife Stadium and work a day of football. So you're literally, your mind has to shift. Yeah. Um, and I worked for the Giants for two out of my four years at Quinnipiac. So there'd be a lot of time too. And I worked directly with the players that I'd be at a a hockey game or I'd be at practice or even in class and I'm going from talking about hockey in that environment and again Quinnipiac doesn't even have a football team so it's mm. people don't talk about football at Quinnipiac right unless you're talking about pro right yeah but um they still talk about their pro teams don't worry but not at that college level to I can be walking to practice or at practice or at in a classroom and get something from hockey while I'm also getting messages and emails about the giants or player asking questions. So I really had to be able to pivot my mindset um, and really be careful too on the terminology I was using. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of different things mm -hmm. in simple length of time, periods versus periods, quarters, you know, like there's yeah. a lot of different things going on. They don't yeah. easily transcend. Goals versus touchdowns. Yeah, that would be yeah. really different. <laughs> um, and so 
it that was a very interesting journey and really set me up to understand different people's walks of life how one person's need even though they come together in a collaborative way right whether it's hockey any of these sports or in a professional setting and at the pro level like you could come together as teammates and perform but off the ice off the field there's other things that are going on that you need help with or other projects you're working on and so even though we might be focused on this one angle i can have to deal with a lot of other things that are going on or needed to be provided so the players could play and perform at their level but I think for me, I, to going back to your original question too, is I also very much knew what it took to perform at a high level. Um, I was a swimmer starting very young. I was training for the Junior Olympics when I was diagnosed with epilepsy. So I lost my sport due to injury, as one could say, right? You either lose your sport because you choose to leave or something happens and you can no longer perform. So I was at the top of my game at nine years old. I was competing in the 15, 18 age group and winning. And so I lost that opportunity in that part of my journey ended very shortly of where it could have gone because of my epilepsy diagnosis. So I know what that aspect is like and how you can lose a part and you have to keep pushing through and all these things while also not just feeling like you've lost a part of yourself and your identity, but also going through a whole different uh, mountain to climb as well, overcoming things and, you know, that aspect of it. And then when I was in high school, not only was I managing teams, but I got into diving because my seizures had stopped. They stopped for a while at that point. It was a way for me to get back in the water. So I started diving. I became a dive coach as well. Um, and by my senior year in high school, I set the state record. I won overall. Obviously, if you set the state record, you probably won. But for the three three meters at 18 years old and I walked away from diving from coaching diving helping coach young swimmers because I was at the top of my game and I knew I wasn't going to do it in college I knew I wasn't going to have the time it was time for me to grow and move on and so I also know what it is like walking away at the top you've accomplished everything you want to accomplish and you are in a peaceful state to walk away so when working with athletes, I've worked in all the different aspects. I've been where they are. I've gone through things they might have not gone through yet. And then I've seen it from a coach's eye and how mm -hmm. people are, you know, take criticism differently, how to communicate all that, as well as them from the management side and all the moving pieces that go together. So for me, it was, let me be able to be a part and help in any way I can, whether that is in the wrestling room. And I did go back after college, the manager or the coach asked me to come manage the managers because he needed help with them and talk to them sometimes. But I knew what it was like in so many different aspects of, okay, 
how do you need me to show up? And that's how I'll show mm-hmm. up. Um, the athletes sometimes weren't responding to things. So let me kind of bring it to you in a different aspect. Let me see if I could walk you through it in some way you're not getting um, from your coach. And so for me, it's really just where am I needed and how am I needed in the sports area mm-hmm. to get you there? And then when you're deciding to leave, and I still work with athletes on this, is how can you leave in the best way, meaning mm-hmm. mentally, physically, the way you want to depart? You know, so many people, even at the if they leave at the height of their game, when they actually stop playing, mm-hmm. they go, what are the skill sets how all this I've done for all these years, that's my identity. I don't know what to do. I, I don't know if I'm going to be passionate about this other thing. So how can those skill sets transition? How can you make those decisions and kind of give them some clarity from someone who's been there and understands that environment very well? Mm-hmm. No, I can, I can relate with most of what you just said. Uh, I was a professional athlete in three different sports, two of which I had a was an injury that that took me out of it one of which was at kind of at the top of the game before i was done type of thing so i i really relate with that so i would i'd love to hear from your perspective there's one thing that you said that i kind of want to hit on which is there's some things that these athletes aren't getting from their coaches or their teammates that i had to uh you know the gaps you had to fill right what were some of the main things that the athletes felt like they weren't getting from their coach that somebody in your position would have been able to fulfill on or help them through So one thing I see a lot, I didn't as much see it in the hockey aspect when I was Mm -hmm. at Quimpiac. I very much saw it at a high school level. Um, I see it occasionally at the college level when I work with different colleges and the pro level. I'll use the high school level as the peer example because I have seen it firsthand myself Mm -hmm. and worked with athletes on this is it is so typical, especially at that level, that a lot of times there's volunteer coaches that come in and coach at a high school. They're not all paid by the school. They might be cops who played the sport and are willing to volunteer their time. And so a pure example, and I'll tell this story, is when I came back after I graduated college and I was working for the New York Giants and the wrestling coach at my high school asked me to come back and help him. Be- mm-hmm. And I agreed on days I couldn't make it to practice or whatever I'd show up. And I kept seeing that there, there was the two assistant coaches and the head coach, and they were speaking to everyone the same way. And their way of coaching too was we're going to get in your face, yell at you, scream at you if you're doing something wrong. And I know firsthand, not everyone responds that way. You're going to get the athletes that shut down. You're going to get the athletes that just throw up their hands and they're not going to try anymore. And I kept seeing this, especially with a few of the guys. And I'm like, you're just not understanding the reason they're not performing well. Isn't that they don't have it in them to perform well and push themselves to that level. It is purely because you're getting them to a point where they're just shutting down. And their body doesn't isn't in the space to actually train. And when I was coaching, I very much understood that you had to meet each of your players 
in the space they were in and how do they communicate and how are they going to actually perceive what you're telling them. And I'm seeing this happen now at this wrestling team. And I finally, after <laughs> one day of practice and they're getting yelled at and the coaches walk away, I go up to the kid and I'm like, what's going on? He's like, I keep messing this up. And I go, okay, well, why do you, where's the disconnect they're showing you and he's like I think I'm doing this and I said okay well we'll name him John I'm like John come over to the map real fast I said John's been doing it right so why don't you try that move on John and John will give you some critiques and we'll see it from a reverse and they sat there and they kept practicing and I'm like okay you're gonna just keep practicing this and just in the way we were communicating and understanding too, from what I had been watching that he really learned when it was, let's take it step by step and let's take it from actually doing it. Let's not talk about, let's not yell about, but actually practicing each step in a calm manner where there's no pressure. And it got to a point where this same player, player they were saying to him you're not gonna get anywhere you're not gonna get to championships you're not gonna hit qualifiers like just really yelling down at him and I looked at him one day now mind you they're all high school boys right mm -hmm. and here's this girl that is not only a girl but she works with pro athletes yeah and I said to him I'll make you a bet now mind you they all want to be cool kids too right mm -hmm. cool athletes I was like I'll let you I'll let us be friends on Facebook if you make it to States. Cause they, all the guys want to be friends on social media. And I was mm -hmm. like, no, um, there's boundaries. But I said to him in front of all the guys, I said, make it to States and I'll be friends with you on Facebook. And now mind you, the coaches are yelling at everyone the same way, mm -hmm. talking down and they're like, he's not going to do it. Like, I don't know why you're, and this was like towards the end of the season. I said, watch, he'll turn around. He'll make it. And you know what? He made it to States and placed their dead States. And it's a pure Let's example go. that sometimes the missing piece is just the piece that it's not that the coach isn't saying it. It's not that the coach isn't providing the resources. It's someone else taking the time out to go, okay, how, what's going to be most beneficial? I'm not giving you the information. I'm not giving you anything different, but let's talk through it. Let me do that. Let me hear this idea you have or what you want to be doing. But it's also a lot of what I see at the college level, we'll take it a step farther, is everything is so focused on the sport and that particular season that the coaches and the team staff forget to plan for long term. Like you mentioned, midseason injury, and now this player is going through all these things. They're going to be a senior, and now they need to transition into the workforce. I actually recently met a top uh, college football player who did not go pro, and this was over the summer in Texas, and he was my Uber driver, and it was the weekend I was giving my TED Talk, and he picked us up, and I'm talking to him on the drive and my parents were with me and they mentioned that I worked for the Giants and all this stuff with football once he said he played in college and we're talking and he goes, 
you know, I got my degree just because I had to get a degree in college. That was not my passion. My passion was football. And he goes, I graduated and I got my internship after college. And I realized this was not what I wanted to do. And I felt so lost and I felt all these things and no one, while he was at the university he was at, as they started to transition out of their sport, sat down with them and was like, okay, here are, when you go on interviews or you start doing that job, some of the ways that your sport and your skill sets you've been doing for the past 20 years can relate to the job. What are you passionate about with this sport? How can you maybe even do that? Again, volunteer coaching. What are ways you can stay in tune with your sport? There's none of those conversations. And so one thing too that I do, whether it was from a team level managing an athlete is continuously having the conversation of what makes you go in the morning, whether it's with your sport or whatever you're doing and what are the pieces of it that you're passionate about and let's see how that can translate so you don't get lost in the mix of things once you decide to leave. That makes a lot of sense. And that's sad because they go through school thinking they're going to do, you know, football, hockey, whatever their sport, basketball, and then they get injured when they spent three and a half years not doing the thing in school that they truly would want to do as a plan B just because they're doing it to go through just to be able to play. <laughs> that's such an uh, that's it's unfortunate i'm sure that happens fairly often like probably more often than we we don't hear about it right on the outside but sure it yeah we don't often. hear about but it is something that watching what people go to school for and then seeing where they end up four years down the line five years after they leave again i'm very connected to a lot of different players in all different sports it's a lot of times not what they go to school for no. And it, and then there is that gap of what am I doing? I mean, this person, he was saying to me, he was in, literally Uber driving, even though he had, and there's nothing wrong. Let me reiterate that there's nothing wrong with Uber driving, whether it's your full-time job or part-time. But in his situation, he wasn't doing it for any reason besides he had no idea what he was going to be doing. Mm-hmm. He had no direction, no path. And he was sitting there saying how lost he was feeling and that he might try this and he might try that. But he's also, you have to remember that athletes or especially when you get done college, it's a little different in the military, right? You're in the military mm -hmm. at that point. But with athletes, particularly, you graduate college. And if you don't make pro, your sport is now done unless you do it for fun. And when that loss happens at the same time, you were watching everyone you've gone to school with that has been on the same momentum as you get jobs, find their group, you know, not, it's not seamless for everyone, no matter if you're an athlete or not, but you're seeing them. Okay. They went to school. This is what they want to do. They got their job. They're, moving on to that next chapter and you're sitting there stuck and it adds a very different level to things as well. Mm -hmm. Oh, big time. And there's so many parallels to everything that you just said. And I mean, life in general, right? There's so many parallels between sports and life. It's like the best analogy. It's probably the most used analogy ever is anything in sports. Um, but like business in general as well. 
there's one this is a few minutes ago but there's one thing that you had mentioned when you were when the coach particularly was communicating to his athlete and that's like leadership communication 101 like your the outcome or the effectiveness of your communication as a leader really as any kind of communication is judged upon you getting the outcome you want not the words that you say so this coach is yelling at this individual saying you'll never amount to anything you're not going to make state you're not going to do this obviously that didn't work for him so he's communicating how he thinks he's going to get the outcome but he's not communicating how to get the outcome out of that person but he could you could move over the bench to the right a little bit and then that person that person gets fired up by proving somebody wrong by proving people wrong you know his he's had parents friends say you're not going to be able to do this and that fires him up he's like tell me more coach like keep it going and it works for him but it doesn't work for this individual where you kind of identified you came in okay this is how this person this is how this person can relate to communication, the type of communication this person can relate to, because I want to get an outcome. So I'm going to communicate to get the outcome, not just to say the words. And that's super, uh, that was such a good example of that. And that's a very good lesson for, I mean, leaders, if you own a business, if you're a manager, if you're a coach on a team, if you're an assistant coach on a team, if you're a captain on a team, you're a leader. And you have to learn how to, again, you have to learn how to gauge your communication skills. And it's on getting the outcome out of whether it's person A, B, C to Z, it's about getting the outcome. And so, there's a few, go ahead. Oh, there's a few things to that too. I always say, whether it's an athlete or a business professional, there's a few rules I always mention and go by. First of all, just because you're in a leadership position does not make you a leader. So understand just because you've gotten that new leadership role, you still have to have the skill sets and if you don't have them, that's okay, but build them. Do not just expect people to perform at the level you want, respect you at that level, because now your title has changed. I think the other thing too, that's so important that people forget about, and something I always ask when I'm starting to work with someone is how would you like to have this information? So when I hire an employee, whether it's to, to just have someone build up my website, right? Or a social media person, even if they're short term and not a long-term role, when I start seeing mistakes happen, especially, and I went through this when I started my business, someone was coming on, I explained to them there was a mistake and they're like, oh, that's not a big deal. And I said, no, these look two different things. This is not the way it should look. It's not just, oh, we'll shrug it off. Oh, well. And in this case, it was on social media. And I go, you're representing my brand. You need to go in and fix this. Something similar happens a few days later. Again, sit down, explain her. Finally, I said to her, I said, I've said it this way. I see the problem happen again. We're now on time three or four. Mm -hmm. What is it that I can help you to be able to grasp what I am trying to explain? Where's the disconnect for you? Where is the spot that you need me to explain more? You need me to actually walk through with you? Like, how can I help you perform best in this role? And I think a lot of people forget that question, but I think it's one of the most important questions to ask, especially early on, whether there's problems or not. Because then when something arises, you're not talking to them the way you would want to be talked to and approached and have the problem solved. 
you already know how to meet them on the ground and get the solution from them that you're looking for. Oh, absolutely. I think a lot of that starts with, as the leader, you have to take responsibility for everything. If they're not, and, and you did it beautifully. That was a great example of that, where you weren't getting the outcome you wanted. So instead of just blaming it on her, you don't understand. I said it clearly. I said it this way. I said it that way. You just don't understand it's on you. And instead, you're like, okay, I'm just not commu communicating and wait again, again, to get the outcome that I want. And I obviously, I don't know that off the top of my head. So I'm going to ask the person. I'm going to take responsibility and ask. And I love the way you did that. How can I communicate this to you better so that you can grasp and so that you can be successful and therefore we are successful together, right? So many leaders don't, because they're a lot of managers or whoever it is, coaches, doesn't matter. They're leaders by title only. That's like the level one. That is just bare minimum to be a leader is that you got promoted to something or you got put in a position. You are not a leader. You have the title of one, right? The, your actions and words and the way you communicate and follow through and consistency, that will eventually you'll have influence and then you'll become a leader at that point. But anyways, I, I love that point because there's just not enough. I mean, whether you're an influencer on here, social media, podcaster, you own a business, whatever it is, we need to take responsibility for everything. And if that person, if we communicate properly and that person still wasn't able to get it right, then it's our fault for hiring them in that position that they're not competent enough to be successful in. And that, that's, again, that's on us, right? So I wanted to ask you this. There Again, there's so many parallels between sports and business and sport, like the different types of sports in general. First of all, let, let me ask you this. What was the biggest difference working with hockey players and football players? outside of like the terminology? So I think for me, a big part of it was level. So when you get to that pro level, mm -hmm. you know everyone has worked their butt off to get there, whether it's a player or someone you're working with. Everyone has earned that seat. Mm -hmm. I think in, and so a lot of these players mind you I worked with Eli Manning me and Eli had many conversations Odell Landon Collins some of those guys to this day are my friend um and I walked in as the youngest person in the room right um but there was that common respect right off the bat of you have a job I have a job we're gonna work together and we're gonna get this done how can we help each other to make each other's roles and just right off the bat when I was in college and worked in hockey there was this gap between your manager and I even see it to this day in high schools too you're the manager I'm the player I'm the player and I'm doing things you're just the manager you don't understand how it connects mm. and so a lot of times whether it's at a high school level, a college level, you're seeing this divide right off the bat of, okay, what are the attentions? We're not working together. One is feeling better than the other. You know, I've told the story before. There are a few players from the time that I worked at Quimpiac and managing, especially the men's team, that I'm still friends to this day two and we communicate and they are amazing there were sadly also players i worked with and i laugh about sometimes because it was very much that divide we don't talk to you you know you're gonna do your thing if we want something from you we'll come to you 
And some of them, even when I saw them, you know, years later, and I worked with them for four years, didn't know my name or that I managed them during the time that I did. And it took the other players kind of like hinting at it. And one of them blatantly said it. You remember Olivia? She managed her team. And I sat there and I laughed. And then it's very much knowing internally your own worth. And I think what you provide to a team in those situations that it doesn't matter. But the difference was, and I experienced this a little differently than some people do, is I was getting the respect and that camaraderie and that equal level, even though I wasn't a player at that pro level. And then Monday morning or within minutes, I'm sitting there and you can't even look at me. And, you know, there's this divide at that other level. And I think it's very telling, especially years later. And I think part of it too was, were these high performers you just don't understand, but yet they never took the time to understand that I was at that level at one time in multiple sports, as well as they, some of them didn't even realize that as they're telling me, like, I'm not at that same level. I'm literally technically in sports world higher than them because I'm at the pro level. So they didn't even know. And I'm not someone who, really cared to bust about it or make it known and so I always kept my mouth shut no one knew what was going on Mm. except me who was obviously experiencing it um but I would sit there and kind of laugh when those moments would happen in real time because I was I'd be like you have no idea that Odell literally just texted me five minutes ago asking me a question right or Landon Collins or or tomorrow morning I'm gonna be at this event this movie premiere with all these celebrities Mm. as you're you know not even trying to remember my name and pay me that level of respect Mm -hmm. so I think that's the biggest that I experience at those two different levels I also have the unique perspective of going through those two Mm -hmm. different levels at the same exact time which I think adds to the feeling of it Mm -hmm. but also the same thing I still see to this day whether it's at a high school or a college level that I try and that when I come across it to inherently fix or highlight because no one should be treated that way. And that's one of the things too, I want to highlight this. When I went and worked at the New York Giants, it really starts from ownership down. Mr. Mara and Mr. Tish knew my name. And when they would see me in the hallway, would come up to me and have a conversation with me. They did the same thing with the janitors. It was you treat everyone as if they were your brother or sister. And so I think it also comes down from, you know, as we've all talked about, whether it's sports or business, but from that top down in that pure example. And the Giants are such an amazing organization and a pure example of how by just leading by example, everyone treats you that way and I think it's one of the most amazing things you could get out of sports and I think it is something that if I were to say there's something that teams need to focus more on at that high school or college level would be that because you not only are you creating a divide within your unit and managers whether it's at the college level and are sitting there making sure your food orders your travel 
your stats are correct. Like I did it all. If I mess up your stats, even if you performed well, that meant your stats were messed up permanently. It's not a easy thing. Right. And (laughs) it's not like, Oh, someone could just go back. You're either rewatching game film. There's a lot that goes into that. And so it does really take not just the person who's on the field, on that court, on that ice to perform. It really takes the unit. And when everyone isn't at that equal level, it does create a divide. It then creates a lack of dedication, motivation, mm-hmm. all these different levels um, that makes someone not perform as well either. Yeah, well, it sounds like the big difference is just some like professional to amateur in that that mindset, like understanding what it takes, like just in general, what does it take? Like it doesn't just take me being cocky and have skill and being arrogant to go out on the ice and perform. <clears throat> no, it, I, I need a trainer. I need somebody to have my back if I get injured. I need somebody to be able to throw me a stick if it, if it breaks. I need somebody. Uh, we need the people who you know manage our bus schedules and our plane schedules, and we need like all of that. It's all, all the whole ball of wax. It's like respect the ball of wax. Like it's a Jim Collins thing. Like respect the whole thing. And it sounds like from your experience, like professionally, I, I can't speak for other NFL football teams other than New England Patriots, but it sounds like they they have that they have they respect everybody like it takes if the janitor wasn't there to clean everything up we wouldn't feel as proud when we walk into our locker room if we don't feel as proud when we walk into the walk into our locker room we're less likely to maybe maybe we we perform half a second slower when we're out there like it takes it takes everybody and that's just like in business too like marketing and sales usually are ringing each other's necks when really it takes one without the success of one we can't have the success with the other words and it takes it takes everybody in that respect but i like what you said about the top down like it starts at the top. If you see the coach start to, you know, disrespect or the captain of the team start to disrespect the janitor, most likely the second and third string are going to start disrespecting the janitor. So it has to start from the top. And I wanted to say one more story. And I and this is a pure example of how in sports it really can go from the top down. And I'm going to pull it back from my high school days. So we're going back a little bit of time. Um, but when I was in high school and I started um, my freshman year managing the wrestling team. There was a guy on the team that was in my grade. We ended up becoming friends. His girlfriend didn't like me. And so in one of the way matches, every time we got home off the bus, because the school would wash the singlets, they would have to put it in the trash bag in like a big trash bag. And I typically just hold the trash bag. And as you're walking off the bus, just put it in there and then we'll walk it to the washroom room and they'll wash the singlets. So we're about halfway through this, the season. It's, it was a night match. So we're getting back late. And again, I never had issues with his girlfriend, his girlfriend since like middle school did not like me made it a point when she was at every match to like try to stir things up and I just wasn't having it so one night thinking he was fun and his girlfriend standing right outside the bus he decides to throw the singlet at me now if most people in sports especially high school or college level knew that when you're going through sports, it's typically like the rookies, the freshmen, the younger ones sitting at the front of the bus and the captains are sitting all the way in the back. Those seniors are all the way back there. Right. And the captains 
all the way in the back. And as soon as it hit, the captain's sprint, like, literally jumped. I'm not even kidding. It was a sight to see. Pushed through people and was, like, leaning up against the bus seat to get to the front of this bus and get this guy. And before his, he was fully off that bus, that captain was in his face. And he was like, how dare you? He's like, and I hadn't picked up the scene. Like, yeah, I was like, oh, I'm not doing that. And I was going to wait and kind of see if someone else would do it. And <laughs> to be honest, I wasn't going to do that just yet. And he is get back on that bus, apologize to her face, pick up the singlet, put it in, and now you're going to help her the rest of the night. And that is what he did. He had to stay on. And he had to apologize in front of everyone. He had to pick up the singlet. He had to stand there and help me with whatever I needed the rest of the night. But it was a pure example of as something's happening in real time, going, that's wrong, correct it. And now you're going to learn not to do it again. And I'll take that a step further into the business sector of things. Years later, right, I... Have been, I was in sports. I went in to work at Lockheed Martin. Mm -hmm. And when I started working at Lockheed Martin, there was my manager who was getting ready to retire. And he, one day, something's being said. I don't want to go into the whole scenario or because people might be able to figure out who it is. But I'm sitting there trying to solve the problem. I'm the only woman on the team. you know, I had some, I was the second lowest. There was only four of us prior to me coming on and our contractors. He was the only one doing that role for 30 years. So he very much knew what he was looking for. And a problem arose and our contractor sitting there and he's suggesting a possible solution. And I took a minute to kind of absorb everything that was being said and look at the bigger picture and what can actually possibly move around? And I turned around and gave an answer. And he looked me square in the eyes around these three other men and said, you're a woman, nothing you will ever say I will listen to. You should just keep your mouth shut. And no one said anything. Not the person who was transitioning into the manager role and was going to be managing the rest of us. Not anyone else and I looked at him and I knew in that moment it was not going to be the right time for me to say something later that day I did I knew in that moment my own skills I was it was not going to go off well if I responded <laughs> in that moment yeah and later that day I knew he still wasn't going to be responding to anything I said he's made it a point he made it very difficult for me to learn my job from the jump and perform well but I went to the person who was going to be taking over his role, who had been training with us. And ironically, I'd been the one training him. My boss made me train the new manager. And I said to him, I'm going to tell you right now, if you want to last in any role in any management, your wrong step in this is that you did not say anything in front of everyone else in real time or mm-hmm. take us back in 30 minutes, an hour goes by and you say, hey guys, you I wanted that to cool down, but I want to circle back on this. I said, because now you have set the tone that that kind of conversation is allowed to be had and you're not going to do anything about it. You don't care that it's happening. And I said, and you're the one taking this team over. If we start to divide, 
he's that person's no longer here. It's not going to be his responsibility. Mm -hmm. It's your responsibility as the leader. And he goes, I didn't think about that. And I said, that's exactly the point by standing by whether again, like we had talked about earlier, you have the title of leader or you don't. Sometimes you have to set in to set the tone for everyone else. Yeah. Just because you don't have the title of the leader doesn't mean you don't be a leader in the room. Right. And then in a lot of, cause I, I've been, a, I've been involved with not that specific type of situation, but similar scenarios where somebody should have spoke up, like something was said, something happened and, and somebody should have spoke up. And then you approach them afterwards in a similar conversation you just had, like you should have spoke up. Like this would be a good time for you to speak up to, you know, make a good example or help everybody abide by our core values or culture, whatever it is. But what they, 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 you know, they said, well, I didn't say anything, you know, it's, it's, there's no harm, no foul, we'll just move on and I'll get it next time. But by not saying something, that's you communicating that it's okay. Not communicating mm -hmm. is communicating. So him not, not speaking up is admitting that like, okay, when I'm in that role, it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. He might not mean that, but that's what he's communicating. Yep. And the, and in real time, I did say to them jokingly you know, my response kind of as it unfolded because they all knew I had worked in sports for so long. I said, you should be real happy that I come from the locker room. I have that locker room mentality, <laughs> yeah. right? I've been around the locker room way too long mm -hmm. to like have this. If you think this, you're going to let this be set in my way. You don't know locker rooms. Yeah. You don't know the mentality that athletes have and the conversations that go on in the locker room to think that in circumstances like that, you see a lot of times too, in that locker room environment, the leaders step up mm -hmm. or, you know, it pushes you. Okay. You're going to tell me, no, well, now I'm going to step onto the ice, the field, yeah. the court and perform better. Like I'm going to figure out the solution, whether you help me get there or not to perform at the level I need to. So, even when I was speaking to that, the person who was going to be taking over leadership, I reiterated to him, I said, if that was probably any other female, the conversation would have been drastically different. And should it be? I said, but I knew the time and space. And I also knew I came from the locker room environment that not everyone has. And I also knew that my voice was going to be heard. It, just was going to be heard a little differently yeah. yeah well even in the locker room i mean okay you, you might like they talk shit like we're sports people in general like I, i've again from canada i know a lot of females who played on the hockey team they talk the best shit like they are they are so mean but however there's still a line and everybody in that room knows the line it's part of the culture right like i was at a i was at a conference and tom brady was there speaking and one thing he was, it was, he was such a, I didn't expect to fill up a notepad when he was talking. I was just, I was going to sit back and just enjoy it. But no, I, I got a lot of nuggets from, from uh, Mr. Brady. But one of the big things he said, like he talked like we won on culture. We, that, that, that's how we won. We weren't the most talented. I'm not the most talented. He admit, he admitted that a hundred times over, but we won, we won on culture. Everybody in that room was for the team. And if somebody came into that room and started complaining about, I didn't get enough passes. Like if they won the uh, the, the game and somebody came in, it's like, you didn't pass me the ball. You didn't pad my stats. He would gladly, I, I, you know, I'm sorry you feel that way. You're not a good fit for this team, right? You're really talented, but I can't wait to play against you. 
And that was that was the line that he they they drew. It's just very consistent. They talk shit, but again, there's a line and it's consistent. But that, that's just the culture of it, right? And workplaces need to have that culture like that. The line, it's it's the same. It's a very similar thing. Just the line, it's moved a little bit and hopefully moved up a little bit in the corporate <laughs> space, right? Like again, in in your situation, I mean, it's like that should have been where the line was drawn, and it's up to the leader to draw that line and lead by example, not to have you know. It's it's unfortunate when you have to go behind and be like, yeah, that wasn't really great. You know, you should probably you know speak up next time. It's probably what's for the best. Like it's it's tough when you have to do that, but the fact that you did it makes you you're a leader not by well you're a leader by title now, but you were that level two, level three at that point, right? Where you you called them out and you had that candid conversation with them. So how I wanted to get into more because you have so much more to offer than just in your sports background, right? But how has that being in that environment, like you said, the locker room, the the politics that are involved in sports, the different personalities, the different types of leadership, how has that helped you in your career? Because then you're you're a TEDx speaker, you own a, you own your own business. It's uh, the achieving success um, business, and like you've done so, you've done a lot of other great things. You wrote a book too. Did I read that right? You wrote a book. Yeah. How has that? How has having that kind of foundational experience helped you? in what you're currently doing? I think having all those different experiences really built up my ability to understand that you need to meet people where they are, Mm. right? What experiences they bring to the table, also while highlighting those experiences and acknowledging them, right? For example, when I went to Lockheed Martin, my locker room experience was something that I was able to then move into a company that is definitely has a lot of military personnel. You know, it has a similar feel, even though it's different. There's that mentality to some extent as well, and easily glide into that and fit with everyone else that I was talking about to and working with. I think the other part of it is I have a degree or certification in every business area and I've worked in vast fields. So now when I talk to an individual, a client, I am able to understand what they're talking about without them having to feel like they have to dumb it down to explain it to me. Mm -hmm. I know their terms. I know the things they're going through. I know some of the experiences they might have gone through because I've been in that industry and I understand it. And I think the other part of it too is that I understand that no matter the situation I go into personally or professionally, I I have built up who I am today because of all those past experiences. Mm -hmm. And I don't try to dim the light on any of those. If we don't work together because of who I am today and the way I might talk because I do very much have that locker room (laughs) mouth sometimes Um, and you don't feel comfortable with it that is perfectly okay but I'm not going to not be authentic with you Mm -hmm. and tell you my ideas or how to approach things because you're not comfortable with it then we just don't have to work together Um, if I am not explaining something well let me know. And if you don't feel comfortable letting me know, then I have to fix that as well. But I think 
one of the big things is understanding that how all the moving pieces make up who you are. Yeah. Uh, have you heard of the concept of the map map maturity? Mm-hmm. Where it's like you're everyone has their own their own map. Everyone wants the same X. So the X is the same and every everybody's currently at. Like I want what's best for you. I'm assuming you want what's best for me. We have a goal. And if we're working together, we have the same X. But the map on how we get to that X is different. So if you have map maturity, you understand that your map is a lot different than theirs. They got here in a way different road than you did. So you might communicate how to get to the X in your way and how you got there, but it wouldn't resonate with them whatsoever. So having all those experiences like, like that you have and whether it's in sports or just life in general or all these different types of sports, professional sports, um, amateur sports, everything in between, and then just fighting through the things that we all had to fight through. We all have our own map right? We have to meet people at their own. You have to be able to communicate and get people to understand and get to the X based on their own map, not on yours, right? So it sounds like that's, that's something that, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, and that's something I see. I do a lot of podcast consulting at all different levels, whether it's with hosts or someone who wants to start or people getting on shows. And it is really sitting down and understanding one's journey and how they communicate when I work with people who are trying to get on podcasts. I don't just look at the experience they're going to bring to the conversation or what they might be talking about. It's about just as much talking to a host and hearing their story and how they're talking about certain things and tone and then going communication styles. Are they going to actually align Mm -hmm. or are they going to sit down and it's just not going to work? It's not going to be something the listeners are going to want to hear a lot of people forget too, especially within podcasting a mic tells a lot of things very quickly when you don't have something to look at a lot can be picked up very quickly by someone listening so if it isn't that fit the audience is going to know very quickly and Mm -hmm. it's not going to help either party either i love that i love it I, we could we could talk. I could talk to you for another, I don't know how long, however long we have left in the day. But um, I'm going to respect your time and the listener's time. So I have two questions that I usually end the podcast on. So first, for you, what is the next summit that you are chasing right now, Olivia? So actually, there is a summit that I just ended up fulfilling and getting to the oh, top very it. early into my 2024. And it was one of the summits I was chasing going into 2024 is that my podcast achieving success with Olivia Akin reached all seven continents. Um, And yeah, so that was something we, I knew ending 2024 or 2023 that we were in six, you know, typically as a podcast host, they don't tell you the continents you're in. They just mm-hmm. give you countries. Mm-hmm. And so in the mix of things, you forget, oh, that's part of this continent. And it wasn't until I was sitting down in December of 2023 that I was like, oh, wait, we're in all, we're in six out of the seven. And the seventh being Antarctica, which is almost impossible <laughs> to get into. People don't live in Antarctica all year round. If you do any research, because I started doing research Mm -hmm. on this, I learned that. And so that was the summit I was going, one of them that I was going to chase for 2024 was figuring out a way to even see if it was possible. And then 
quickly into 2024. And when I say quickly, I mean, it was January 2nd. So we weren't oh, that wow. far in. <laughs> um, we were 48 hours in. I had a listener reach out and tell me they were in Antarctica and they listened to the show and we hit the top of that summit right there. And so that was actually one of the biggest ones I was chasing what we met. Um, I think now too, something I'm chasing is really figuring out, you know, I do a lot of talks, but the people that it will help the most in getting in front of them 2024 of who can I really sit down impact talk to that needs it and who are those people that will make that decision and let's have conversations I love it adding value to the people that you can add the most value to I love it that's amazing I'm glad that people like you you exist Olivia um so you can take a minute plug anything you want you have your book your podcast your business plug away okay so <laughs> Well, since you opened the floor like that, I'll do all of them. Give her. <laughs> so you can follow us, me on LinkedIn at achieving-success-llc. You can follow the Instagram account at, at achieving underscore success. You can follow me, Olivia dash underscore Akin on Instagram, or if you just search on LinkedIn, Olivia Akin. You can also email me at olivia.akin at achieving-success.com. I personally answer all the emails. So anyone who reaches out, I will actually respond to. And I do respond to every single email. It might just save me a day, but I get there. And you can go to the website, achieving-success.com. Listen to the podcast, Achieving Success with Olivia Atkins. It's on all platforms, including YouTube. I love it. I love the conversation. I love the experience that you have. I love the unique stories, the lessons that we could pull out of them. Olivia, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for watching this episode of the Summit Chasers podcast. I really hope that you enjoyed, you were inspired, you learned something that you can use to go and chase whatever your next summit may be. Be sure to like and comment your takeaways from the episode below. Also, follow us on all social media platforms under Summit Chasers Network. And if you're watching this on YouTube, be sure to turn on your notifications so you can be notified when we drop new content like how-to videos, business best practices, motivation, and personal development strategies. And until next time, keep chasing your summit. I'll see you on the next one.